Welcome to The Tangent, everybody. My name is Matt Sparaza. I'm here with Father Sam Kachupa. I love this initiative. And uh, today we interviewed Father Boniface Hicks. OSB. Is it OSB? It is. The Order of St. Benedict. There you go. OSB. The Order of St. Benedict. What you don't know is that his beard is over a foot long. At least. Fantastic beard. Amazing. Also a very spiritually insightful man. <laughs> Incredibly. Um, just what a great guy to talk to. Yeah, it was a lot like, of fun. Just this, this was a phenomenal conversation. It was I a lot so of fun. I had so much fun talking to him. Um, I, I like it. Let's put Father Boniface aside for a second. I like how you just jumped in with that intro. Thank you. That was great. I like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah I was feeling gutsy. It, well, I think it's a good thing. I, I don't object. On our episode, we, we spoke about how... What, what it means to yield to grace and how God works through our humanity. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I'd jump right in with my... You let God work through that humanity of that's yours, right. that's for that sure. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, Father Boniface Hicks is the author of... Uh, num- Can I say that again? That didn't come out. That's, yeah, it felt I'll like just, I was like, there was just, just like a just, skipping in my own voice. Should like, I keep this? Oh yeah, 100%. Okay, yeah, right. I feel like I was a record that skipped a vinyl. Are you familiar with vinyls, I Matt? I mean, it's, vinyl, it's a record. Yeah. It's an old technology I that went, comes before I your went time. To but music school. Oh, that's right. I forget <laughs> about that. Anyway, Father Boniface Hicks is the author of several different books. He's a frequent contributor to various and sundry EWTN shows, uh, radio shows, television stuff. He's a uh, spiritual director at St. Vincent Seminary in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and also part of the, uh, the Institute for Ministry Formation out there. Uh, and I'll tell you, I've never... I've never heard of the Institute for Ministry Formation until we interviewed him. Me but neither. I'll tell you what, if he's teaching there, I kind of want to go there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Perhaps we'll have him back on the door. That's a great idea. <laughs> he opened up the door that he said he, he would be cool doing that. He did. But he's written I a tried whole... to get the door open for you two co-authoring a book. Together. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. I did, I did notice that. <laughs> I don't know if I have enough to say in a book, but... In any case, he's written a new book, The Fruit of Her Womb, A 33-Day Preparation for Total Consecration to Jesus. It's available through Sophia Institute Press. Do yourself a favor, get a copy of this book, and use it for a consecration to Jesus through Mary. It's really beautiful. It's yeah, powerful. Yeah, it's worth doing. And if you've, if you've not done a, a consecration, uh, I recommend it. And if you have, I recommend using this book to renew that consecration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's some really powerful things in here. And, I am uh, in the process of, of that renewal. Are you? And yeah, yeah, I'm in the process of it. Nice. And there are things. I, I it seems to me that the m- most common one that people have used nowadays is 33 days to morning glory. Yep. Which was great, right? So I'm not. This isn't a diss on 33 days to morning glory, um, but I am glad to be using this one as we're doing. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing. 33 days to morning glory was, I think, a, a kind of needed reexamination of the Saint Louis de Montfort. Right. Uh, approach. I also think it was just an explosion of awareness. Yeah, exactly. But now there's, there's, I think, continued need. Yeah. You know, continued need. You know what we forgot to ask him about? What? Who's this book really intended for? Yeah, we, we had did. this whole plan. <laughs> Folks, we had a plan and we didn't do it. So you're just going to have to listen to the episode and see how we failed. <laughs> <laughs> Yielding to grace. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the episode. And God bless you. Father Boniface Hicks, welcome to The Tangent. It's great to have you. It's great to meet you. Uh, I've been 
reading some of your stuff. I've been listening to you on uh, EWTN radio and everything. So I feel like I've already talked to you a few times, even though I've never actually met <laughs> you. Uh, but can I just lead off with something that's got nothing to do with the rest of the topics that we're going to talk about? You, Father, are sporting a championship beard. Thanks. And I just, I so admire it. I am, I am a lover You're on of the beards way. myself. And yeah, I'm, I'm going for it. I, I don't think I've got quite got that nice length. Start. How, do you know how long yours is? Uh, like measured? No, I never measured. Yeah. It. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I was, I was, no, I was curious because like mine, mine was like a couple inches longer than it is now. And I trimmed it back and everything because I think the people in my parish thought that I had like, I don't know, lost the house or something. So they, they wanted to make sure I was okay. Um, but this is, this is fantastic. But not all Benedictines sport the beard. Our, our house is uh, pretty beard heavy and friendly our founder okay uh, so we're the we're the first benedictines in the united states and the largest in the world uh monk wise n- monk wow. number wise and uh our founder boniface wimmer came over from germany in 1846 and he had a beard okay. larger than this Whoa. and uh when he was blessed as abbot by Pius the ninth Pius the ninth hailed him saying long live boniface wimmer and his magnificent beard so <laughs> since that time, yes. our, our monastery has had a, a nice tradition of beards. So we, uh, oh, I love it. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Did you know that Pius the ninth is the last Pope King of the papal States? I didn't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the yeah. longest reigning sovereign territory in history from the 700s to the 1870s. Right. And then he, he's the longest reigning Pope, isn't he? Uh, after St. Peter, I believe. Hey, right. After, after, after Peter, it was Pius the ninth and then John Paul the second craziness. Uh, in Leo terms the 13th of length, is no. in there too, I think. Was he really? Okay. Well, Man. being up there with Peter, that's pretty good. Yeah. It, it, it's so, good company. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Stellar company. <laughs> All right. Well, Father Boniface. So you're at St. Vincent's in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, right. correct? Yep. Okay. And you're serving at the seminary there and also in the, is it the Institute of Priestly Formation? Institute for or, Ministry um, Formation. Yeah. Ministry Formation. I'm sorry. So okay. And does that, does that include lay students? Yeah. So we would have mostly lay students. We have 89 students this semester, probably uh, 10 priests, couple of handful of religious, say six, seven religious, and then the rest would be uh, lay students. Yeah. Wow. Great. Okay. Nice stuff. Yeah. So we're looking now at this uh, brand new book that you've published, The Fruit of Her Womb, a 33-day preparation for total consecration to Jesus. That's out through Sophia Institute Press. And uh, so there's the little plug for it. Uh, Let's talk about what consecration uh, to Jesus through Mary really means. I really like that uh, Sophia stopped right there, consecration to Jesus. It's the right right focal point. And in, in some sense, it's just baptism. Right. I mean, this this is our real consecration to Jesus. We're actually baptized into Christ. And but the fact is that most of us were, most of you, I, I was baptized at 21. So let me say, most of you <laughs> were baptized <laughs> without your conscious choice. And so, uh, and even for me, who was baptized at 21, I mean, did how much did I really know at that point? How much more do I know now? And so, it's a way of intentionally embracing our baptism. Uh, that's what I would say. Most fundamentally what consecration to Jesus is about. And then we're baptized in the church. We're baptized in the waters of baptism, which we sometimes describe as the womb of the church. And so 
well, the church we think of in strange ways. You know, the church is a person, the church is an institution. Like, what is the church anyway? Well, the perfect center of the church, the type and figure of the church in the language of Vatican II is the Blessed Virgin Mary. She is the face of the church, the church's perfection in heaven. And so when we're talking about consecration to Jesus in the church, we're really talking about consecration to Jesus in Mary, which is, of course, a lot more, a lot easier to get our hands around to think of this in terms of a person. And then the, the particular dimension that I, I focus on uh, drawing from Louis de Montfort's whole structure in his writings, but I take out this dimension. He, he, he leans a little bit more in the direction of slavery, which I just think you can't sell that in the United States. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know what he means, but anyway, we just have too much baggage with, with that. So uh, even trying to do that in a positive way in the relation to Our Lady, I just, anyway, it's, it's, uh, there's difficulties there. But he also yeah. uses this image of the womb of Mary, that all Christians are baptized into the womb of Mary until being born into eternal life. And that's a sense of total surrender but also a sense of warmth and tender care and protection. And, and so it kind of combines the image in, in I, I think, a helpful way. But anyway, all of that is to say, fundamentally, I would describe consecration as a, an intentional taking hold of, choosing, renewing, deepening the grace of baptism. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad that you, that you wrote this and, and phrased it in that way. Because when I, so I've done a Marian consecration, but the, the phrase slavery to Mary has always bothered me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, it just, it just has. So, so recognizing that it is actually meant to be, not that I didn't know, but meant to be a tender and warm thing, you know, is actually quite freeing. Um, Maybe we can dive into that for a second because St. Louis de Montfort is, is famous for his consecration to Jesus through Mary. And he's the first one, right? The, to, to write something like this. I mean, there, there've been others who, who encourage, of course, that devotion to the Blessed Mother, but it's, it's Louis de Montfort who really articulates it in the most devotional sense. Yeah, he comes out of a school in France that would have preceded him by uh, much of a century. So Pierre Berulle and the French school was already doing some form of consecration, really taking that that's kind of central place of Mary and, and deepening that relationship. But Louis de Montfort formed a, a kind of structure, a 33-day preparatory structure around that, and then wrote out this particular consecration prayer that then was lost for what, what the better part of a century, I think. And uh, as was predicted to him, somebody prophesied or he had a vision that that would happen. He got literally buried and then brought forth again. And John Paul II really, really highlighted it for us. John Paul II found in Louis de Montfort an answer to the loss of his own mother and his own questions about the Blessed Virgin Mary in his book, True Devotion, de Montfort's book, True mm -hmm. Devotion. So, but yeah, de Montfort pr provides a structure which has become the prominent one in the last couple of centuries, for sure. So then his use of the, of the word slavery... Uh, in regard to a relationship with with Mary, yeah, you're right. I think for the American audience is a it's a little yeah, off. it's a tough sell. Yeah. It, it really is. But what's he getting at? What does he mean when he uses the word? Of course, yeah, De Montfort a few centuries before us is using it in one sense. Our understanding today would would be different. So how is it that uh, that Saint Louis de Montfort was using the word? Yeah, and and I don't. Uh, I haven't studied De Montfort that much to make a real authoritative statements, but. 
my, my sense is he is also trying to be a little bit provocative. I mean, I don't think slavery in past centuries was like a real, you know, wonderful thing either that people <laughs> wanted to enter into. What, what people don't realize is de Montfort's real devotion was actually to the cross. And, and that's what's pervasive. He, he formed this uh, society mm. of the friends of the cross. And he really exalted in the, in the total paradox of the triumph of failure. I mean, and lived it out in a pretty profound way. I mean, he was repeatedly a failure, rejected, cast out, I mean, and and found a pathway in that of closeness to Christ, of that being a centerpiece of discipleship. So I do think he actually intended a bit of a provocative use of the term slavery, which would have some of the really then embracing kind of the harsh connotations of life. I mean, if we're honest, life is hard. And, and we can either like be Pollyannish and say, oh, it's not that bad. It's all nice. And, but I mean, the fact is life is hard. And, and do we see that harshness as merely an injustice, which if we could get our act together would be avoidable? Or do we take a kind of Jordan Peterson approach and say, no, you can't get away from suffering. And so you need to find a reason to make your way through it. Mm. And, and I think that's really what, what de Montfort was also getting at. So the harshness of slavery is not, uh, he's not really intending to avoid that. He's not exalting slavery as an institution or anything, but saying like there's something hard about discipleship. But but then slavery to Mary, and this is his whole path, is that, you know, there, there's a kind of a sweetness that she brings to all of these things. And uh, so even slavery to her has a kind mm. of sweetness to it because what does she really know about being a slave master? Uh, she's always a mother. And so I, I think that's the kind of twist that he's taking. But, you know, yeah. you, you've gone through the consecration and this wasn't obvious to you. So I, I didn't want to bank on it either. <laughs> I just thought, right. you know, there's plenty of things rather, rather than like trying to redeem slavery. I'd rather go towards something that people haven't thought about that we would think is kind of in an immediate way sweet. And this is a little bit of Therese's twist. You know, Therese moved from, in a sense, poverty to littleness uh, and, and then makes littleness sound very sweet. I mean, the reality is littleness is like, is, is really hard and, and terrifying in a certain way because we're, it's really embracing our powerlessness. I mean, it's like, I can't do it on my own and I am radically dependent, but it has a sweetness to it because we love little children. And so we can see that our human limitations can also be lovable. And so that's, that's sort of my uh, twist in this context is like, well, this limitation of really surrendering my will, of really being dependent on another, of really receiving everything through Mary, which is, we should know it's sweet. It's also hard rather than de Montfort's, which is it's hard but it's also sweet. So I'm just sort of retur- mm. reversing the, uh, the, the emphasis. Right. Yeah. I like that you, you said the emphasis on like recognizing our powerlessness. So I was, as I was going through your book, um, I'm, I decided when, when I got the, the PDF copy that I would do another Marian consecration. You got a PDF would- copy. I do. Have I a got a. Uh, I got a real copy. Yeah, it's right, it's right here. Copy. This is this is the real copy Over that here. they sent me. We know who everybody's favorite uh-huh. member of the tangent is. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's because you're a cleric. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> clerical is well uh, taken this time. I got a real book. You got a PDF. <laughs> but in in the prayer, I think it's called "Radiating Christ." Is that correct? Yeah. From- um, it's the line: "The light, O Jesus, will be all from you. None of it will be mine. It will be you shining on others through me." The first time that I prayed it, 
I'm not even kidding. In my head, I said, well, it'll be a little bit me. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have and just some of that light? I was like, I was like, I think I'm doing something, you know, but, but I mean, honestly, as, as quickly as day two, I recognized that it, I recognized the Lord graced me with the recognition that, that it, it really shouldn't be me that it, like, that's not even the proper way to desire it. Um, but if you could speak more about that powerlessness, especially in the context of the prayer, this was the first time I had seen the prayer or read the prayer. Mm. I love it. I prayer. added it to like my morning offering because yeah. I love it so much. But the missionaries of charity pray that prayer every single day after yeah. mass. Yeah, it's part of their Thanksgiving after mass, and it's wow. amazing. That's where I learned yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's attributed to John Henry Newman, although it's not really clear exactly where it is from. But uh, but Mother Teresa really made it famous. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think the right approach is, is, uh, I, I really appreciate your, your objection, Matt. And I, I'm also like urging to say, well, there is kind of, um, but, but a better way to say what our contribution is, cause we do contribute something, you know, and, but our right. contribution is magnification. My soul magnifies the Lord. And it's the same contribution as our ladies that uh, her soul magnifies the Lord more than mine does. But uh, the idea that the light is all his, but it does shine on others through me. And it takes on, you know, can we say a little bit of my shading? You know, there's a, right. there's, there's some of my self that also makes not only a negative contribution. Uh, it's not that I only get in the way of the light and at my right. best, I'm <laughs> right. out of the way of the light, <laughs> right. but it really does shine on others through me. And, and that's not excluding uh, well, I, I guess I would say in, in terms of powerlessness, you know, the powerlessness becomes a, a place of, of connection. I like to think of it in, in terms of almost like puzzle pieces. There are places we have strengths, which are like knobs, and we have weaknesses, which are like holes and puzzle pieces fit together because there's both of those. And our, our powerlessness mm. is sort of a receptacle, we might say. Our temptation is to close it off because it's embarrassing, it's shameful, I don't want to be dependent, I want to be self-sufficient, and then we prevent the connection from happening. But our, our powerlessness towards God, I mean, we are receiving from Him existence, right, uh, constantly, and, <laughs> right. And, uh, and receiving, of course, salvation and spiritual gifts and you know, a lot of human talents and all of these things. And, right. and then even from others, uh, well, I mean, you know, even the, the complementarity of this, you, you have a network. I mean, I... I don't have your network. I don't have your friends. I don't have, there's a certain power that you bring, but you don't have my contribution, you know? And so there's, there's something that fits together. And, and when we have a kind of confidence in our collaboration, it's not as quite as vulnerable, hmm. but when there are places right. where we aren't as confident that somebody is going to come to the aid of my weakness, or furthermore, when people haven't come to the aid or have even betrayed me in my weakness, well, that's really vulnerable then to expose that and to trust. Hmm. So you, I think you're speaking into an important area here. So as as you're translating, that, that that's my take on on this book, the fruit of her womb, is that you're you're translating De Montfort's work into a a, a better expression for the modern world, for the world in, in which we're living today, like an expression that we can actually receive and understand, maybe in in a different way. I'd go back and do like the first time I did the Marian consecration mm-hmm. through De Montfort and reading that sex that prayer about slavery. And basically thinking, well, um, I guess that just means really, really serving a lot. <laughs> and that was about the best I could do because I'm like, I'm serving, but it is hardcore. Yeah, I'm not really <laughs> sure what this slavery thing means. I don't get it fully. Right. 
I never would have thought of it in in the context of a, a tenderness and and a love and a, a littleness and a, and entering into somebody else's care and, and the maternity of Mary. I, I didn't understand it in, right. in those words. But what you're doing here is is you're talking about well, uh, Mary as that as that perfect human mother, Joseph as the perfect human father, and sort of the ideal. And and what do we see all around us in the world today? But we see a lot of brokenness. We see a ton of brokenness in family life. We see a ton of brokenness in those relationships. And so when we realize that on a spiritual level, we do in fact have these great models and and these great still present with us, even if not necessarily in person, like in the body, we still have this this presence with us of these intercessors and these these saints who serve in that role. Well, then that closeness it translated away from, from slavery and into a different kind of a language that helps us to understand just how close and how cared for we are. Yeah, that does start to change things. Mm, thanks for saying it like that. Yeah, you said it beautifully. And, and if I could just... Uh, uh, Press on one thing that you said, all of this brokenness, so same category, brokenness becomes a receptor for divine love. And so precisely the places where, and now it's hard because I, at, at some level, I have some sense of what my mother ought to be giving me. And probably I have some sense of even beyond what she's capable of giving me. You know, we, we have some sense of divine motherhood from, from our earliest creation, uh, but the places where my mother failed to give me that. And sometimes that's created a wound. There were times I cried out and she wasn't there. There were times that she didn't understand or that she had her own needs or that, and those places become painful and we often close them off. But as we are confident that our heavenly mother, that, that Mary will receive us, those places of brokenness can really become openings to, uh, mm. to receive more of God's love flowing through her maternal heart. As you're speaking into that humanity, right, that our humanity is cooperating with what God is doing. You used the example before of of us having weaknesses that sometimes we want to hide away, but we need to allow God in, or even in relationship to recognize that uh, you have something to offer that I don't have. And when I can receive it and recognize that we're collaborating, that we're together in this, there's, there's great progress. So... I, I want to ask you if we can talk a little bit about another book that you wrote, <laughs> Spiritual Direction, A Guide for Sharing the Father's Love by Father Thomas Acklin and Father Boniface Hicks. Now, um, unlike The Fruit of Her Womb, which was sent to me for free, I purchased Spiritual <laughs> Direction myself with my own money. Um, but I've been reading through this book and I got it. So uh, oh, this is going to sound like I'm just really, really just trying to this score points transition. with our guest, but I'm no, so excited. About this. this book is amazing. I love it. I'm, I'm loving this book. Now, I know that this, this book is primarily written for spiritual directors, uh, but there's so much in there where you're touching on that broken humanity that needs divine intervention, but without treating that brokenness and that humanity as though it's a, a liability. Beautiful. Like the brokenness in our humanity doesn't have to be a liability. Or if, if I'm the spiritual director, somebody coming into the into to see me and to talk uh, and to work through whatever their their struggles are, their particular wounds need not be the liability that I might at first think they are if I can just get in touch with their humanity and what's going on. And how often is that rooted in exactly what you were just talking about? I cried out my mother wasn't there, or I cried out my father wasn't there. Uh, in this relationship, I was rejected or harmed, or in, mm -hmm. in some way this this didn't go this way. So I build up I build up defenses in myself. I build up bad habits in myself. I have all these different different mechanisms. 
I think what you're doing really powerfully is bringing in the humanity mm. without ever losing sight of what God is doing, without ever losing sight of that spiritual dimension of the person. How do you keep that balance? Mm. Wow. Beautiful. Thanks for your comments. I, I'm, I'm really deeply moved that you received all of that from that book. That makes me so happy. So I just, uh, yeah, really, really appreciate that. It's uh, it's part of the revolution of tenderness, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can that be the title of the episode? The revolution <laughs> right there. of tenderness. Man, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, it's a phrase from Pope Francis. He uses it in the joy of the gospel and, and referenced it a couple of okay. times in uh, the year of mercy. And I really love that. He, in a certain sense, he talks about Mary as being the first revolutionary of, uh, in the revolution of tenderness. Mm. So wow. it's a... Uh, yeah, I think, uh, gosh, how do you how do you not lose sight? I mean, we're we're always receiving through the human. I, I think the separation of you know, it's Jesus has brought them together, right? Human and divine. And there's a there's a beautiful book, really powerful book called uh, "Poverty of Spirit" by uh, Johannes Metz, and he really mm-hmm. focuses on that 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 Jesus in his divinity took hold of our humanity in all of its limitations and never let go to the last breath. He never played the divine wild card of escaping from mm. the limits of humanity and, and, and rode it to the end. We're like ready to play that wild card at any opportunity. We're, where is that divine wild card? I want to get out of this thing. I don't want the limits of my humanity. So, so I really find that it's, you know, the divine is encountered precisely in the in that encounter of love and you know and mm. it's it's entirely wrapped in human stuff you know it's so so even as you know matt said it, the light is all his but but yeah it really doesn't flow except through our humanity i mean that's the amazing thing is god allows us to completely obscure this and and so the more that we allow our humanity to to be the the lens through which that light can flow in these human encounters you know real reverence for the the, the broken humanity of the other, the, the human needs of uh, emotional affirmation, uh, really entering into that. And, and just to say in, in spiritual direction, you know, one of the graces, as you said, that book has a lot of value for people who aren't spiritual directors. But, um, mm. but, there, but there is something unique about the spiritual direction relationship because it's a spiritual direction relationship. I am, for my directees, always closely associated with God. In a way that their counselors and and you know teachers and friends and other people aren't, because I'm the spiritual director. So, so the divinity in some sense is flowing directly through the relationship itself. But I don't need to be over the top about making it explicit. It becomes very naturally explicit in the context of the relationship. But but it's already present because it's in me. It's the very it's the very reason for the relationship, and for other relationships like parents or teachers parents are a little bit mixed because anyway but teachers or friends or coaches or something then then there's a place to kind of bring out the name of Jesus even more explicitly it's not as as inherent in the relationship but all of that mm-hmm. builds on the human stuff so we're never bypassing the human in order to get to the divine it's it's always making itself expressed in the human so from the practical sense how do you yield to grace? Hmm. How do you yield to grace? Um, well, 
gosh, that's a that's a very interesting way to phrase that. Um, it's a loaded question. I like it. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. I'm <laughs> I'm here for the short do, but loaded question. I'll do the uh, I'll do a couple of mental translations in my head. Uh, so grace is participation in divine life. That's uh, just okay. just by definition. If we're talking about divine grace in the Christian Catholic context. Uh, right. So it's participation in divine life. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, <laughs> I, I guess fundamentally you do that by living in a divine way. So it's, it's one of these things that we, you, you sort of, uh, you, you sort of, you know, you, fake it till you make it, I suppose is the, uh, is the <laughs> AA response to that. But, uh, you know, it's like God is love and by entering into love, uh, then, then I'm allowing divine love to flow through me, and and right. and I'm going to take that up to you know things that are human limits. So I, I don't have the capacity in myself to love people in the way that they need to be loved, but I'm going to love them anyway, and God is going to provide. You know, so there's it's it's always right. an extension of of these human things. Now God works in miraculous and supernatural and extraordinary ways. He breaks his own laws and he does his own thing. So I'm not ruling any of that out. And I experience right. those things, but even there, you know, when when uh, one of the things I like about encounter ministries, for example, is they've they've found a mm. mode by which you can bring sickness into relationship, into into human relationship. So I, as the prayer leader, I'm going to ask you to tell me about what's hurting, what's going on in you. I'm bringing your illness, your w- w- injury, your pain into relationship with me. And I'm going to ask you, you know, what's the level of the pain? And, and then I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to bring that into relationship with God. And so it's, these are very human things. Now, these are human things rooted in divine things. God is, is eternal relationship, right? So, but anyway, we bring these things into relationship and we call on the name of God. And then we give him room to, to work. So, you know, I mean, I, I've prayed for people and they have been healed. Um, but but it's not because I was sort of working some kind of magic or saying some magical formula. I'm, I'm through the context, through the mode of my humanity, bringing them into relationship with God through prayer and giving God room to work in their lives. So anyway, that's uh, in terms of ministering for others. You know, how do I yield to grace in my own life? I mean, I guess... Uh, it might be helpful to, to share like the mental image that I have of it. It's almost as if there's like, there's a dam and, and that's me. And there's this massive river that wants to flow through this dam. And so in my head, yielding to grace is like, basically I'm getting out of the way. And, and it's through our conversation. I think that's wrong. I don't think like, I don't think it's, I'm just getting out of the way like as if I am a nuisance that now I've yielded to the grace and God can work and I was in the way in the first place, uh, yeah, yeah. right? So I don't think it's that. So it's like I, the, the only, so the, the way that I can most concretely in, in real life as opposed to this imaginative you know, example is my wife and I re- lead praise and worship music. And prior to leading praise and worship, I will constantly find myself saying like, I am not capable of doing this. I need you to do this through me. Uh, and, and I think that's me faking it till I make it. Right. Because and, then you're the doing Lord... it. Okay. 
because then you're doing it. You're you're not just standing right. there and right. waiting for the guitar to levitate its way into your hands and to right. to, to allow right. something else to start singing. Then you're doing it right, right as best as you can, and you're watching something happen, which is greater than you could make happen. And and the thing is that the thing is that. I'm like naturally I'm a songwriter. I went to I went my college degree is in commercial songwriting. I got a BS in commercial songwriting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, science. Yeah. So many jokes. I just can't yeah. pick which yeah, one to make. That was make. so I didn't have to take a language. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. <laughs> the I've Lord played is those using games. it. I know it, man. Uh, yeah, I have yielded to the grace. Um no, but um so like I have a natural inclination towards writing music you know so i i guess i'm thinking about it in the context of like it's it's now my natural talent has been swept in to this river that is flowing i guess um i'm on a raft in this river um, your natural talent which you got from god yeah yeah right right <laughs> and he sustains and he sustains right. that's right. right no no it's a great yeah, it's I a great the- question oh sorry go ahead well, I was going to say, the dam seems to be more like the when, when you try to take that talent and make it your own and say, this is mine, it's mine alone, right. instead of this belongs to God. So you end up, you do become the obstacle, but it's only when you've taken all the control for yourself. So is yielding to grace invitation? Well, I actually, uh, so I was thinking, even with the dam image, so how do you open the dam? So I, I would say the openings are vulnerability, which Father Sam knows well from our mm. book and we have another book on personal prayer <laughs> that you'll also find that prominently featured in. But oh, can't wait! But that's uh, you know, that's. Do I have to buy that one too, or? Uh... <laughs> you can, Don't worry, you can I'll get write a PDF. You, you can you can call Emmaus and tell him you want me to you want to have me on your show and you need a a, a sample copy. That's fine. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. Permission from the author. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Go for it. Awesome. Uh, yes. But the that that idea of how do I open so. The places of my openings, again, this is, and those first, those first writings in the fruit of her womb, you know, I, in some sense, those, uh, those longer readings for each day are like kind of my papal and saint greatest hits. I just love that, that immaculate conception homily from Pope Benedict is just a masterpiece. It draws it so many beautiful things there and some other anyway, but, uh, but, but he just talks about the, you know, dependency weakness, trust, and a number of things, you know, St. Therese uses this imagery of littleness, but it's those places. And, and you just said it, Matt. Okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, your limitations. Yes, you mm-hmm. can make music, but you want to be able to do something more in that context than simply your whatever natural talent or to make music or, mm-hmm. or even knowing, you know, just cause you could make use music yesterday. Like, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be great today. I mean, it's not even going to be right. as good as yesterday necessarily. So, so it's it's acknowledging your limitation, your weakness. It's being vulnerable and saying, not just saying like a kind of magic formula, but really knowing I can't do this without you. And so I'm opening myself to relationship. I'm I'm expressing my dependence, and I think that goes very much back to again the point of the consecration, being in the womb of Mary. It's choosing not to go anywhere on my own. I only go anywhere with her. It's choosing not to receive, take anything from myself, but to receive everything from her. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's choosing, it's, it's embracing my, I need this, and not being afraid to say that. I'm not posturing over all of my strengths, but I'm saying, 
I really need this because I believe that. So it's precisely the places of our weakness, which is vulnerable to make to, to make known, to, to reveal. That becomes the place that grace really flows through. That's where our collaboration with the divine, you know, our right. fitting together with the mm. divine mm. really happens. Right. And and it seems to an extent it, it's even acknowledging that my strengths are not, you know, strong enough, I guess. Yeah, that's right. right. So it's like recognizing my weakness in everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my total dependency. I think that that use of the word vulnerability is really important in in all of this. That to to be vulnerable, but there's different ways in which we find ourselves vulnerable, uh, and there's there's different comfort levels that we have. So it might be easy enough for me to tell you who like my name uh, and, and where I come from. That's not especially vulnerable. That's that's pretty basic stuff, um, and so it might not be that difficult for me to sit down and, and pray the rosary. Uh, and and to go through some some rote prayer with with the Lord and say, here, Lord, I'm I'm praying, and it's true, it's good, it's 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 a real vulnerability, but there's something deeper that the Lord wants me to to get at and and to open up to, um, or there's something even deeper that the Lord wants to wants to reach in my in my heart, my soul, uh, and it's it's at that deeper level of vulnerability where I'm I'm really going to find it. So the dam image. Mm-hmm. All right, so if you're, I'm going to teach you about this when we go fly fishing because we haven't gone yet. Right. Um, but I'm telling you, we're going to go. And uh, if, if you're fishing fishing near a dam, the top level when they release water from the top of the dam, it's warm. It's no good for fishing. Okay. It raises the river level, which is great, but it doesn't really do anything. It's the bottom level when they release from the bottom of the dam. That's when the cold water comes out, the good water. Okay. And that's when like the real stuff happens and the fish start jumping. Mm. So like. We got to get to that deeper place, right. to that deeper nice. place of vulnerability. I like it. Good image. Yeah, right? Yeah. Well, fly fishing's fantastic for that kind of stuff. Come on. It's it's just great. Uh, you guys should write a book together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Father, um, at the risk of sounding like we are maybe criticizing St. Louis de Montfort, which is not my intention at all, but when, when you read his preparation for total consecration and you read some of the the language that he uses in some of the writing it can almost seem like it's too spiritual as as though total consecration is is going to have you floating on clouds and having daily conversation with the blessed mother as you hand her roses individually um and it, i think your your ability to integrate that that human level is is bringing some more humanity into the idea of that consecration uh, do you ever worry that there's a risk of overly humanizing it and losing some of that that spiritual? Like, I don't think you're doing that. Yeah, but is, yeah. Do you ever feel like there's there's a risk of that? Well, it's it's so funny. I uh, so I'm a I'm an adult convert. I was baptized when I was 21. Uh, I grew up without religion, and in discovering the church, I you know it was life changing, obviously, and and really. Mm entering into it. So I came in full blown, like super spiritual. And, uh, and then as I've done, as I've been here and I've done ministry and a lot of other things, I've come to just a deep love for humanity and, and the richness of all of that in the ways that I was describing. So I always feel like we're, I don't know, the circles that I run in in the church are always in danger of over spiritualizing. And so, um, so I, I keep pressing on that. The, one of the reasons I'm laughing is Father Tom and I teach courses on spiritual direction together, and uh, he's so he's a you know cradle Catholic, and then he actually was uh, as a priest, but uh, was formed as a psychoanalyst, and really okay. went pretty far. And this is like in the '80s when everything was you know a little crazy, and and he. Uh, 
not that he ever went off the deep end or anything, but was, you know, really emphasized the human, obviously, and, and tried to hold the, some of the psychological models. And he since has really pushed into the spiritual more strongly, explicitly. So when the two of us teach, mm. this is the kind of dialectic that's always happening. I'm, I'm the spiritual guy who's like pushing on the human, and he's the human guy that's pushing on the spiritual. So I it's, love uh, it. yeah, no, those are, that's always the, it's the right uh, tension. I think to to hold on to yeah. I I think uh, in, in nobody you know people don't normally accuse me you're looking at me right I mean the beard the habit the, all the things uh, you know I'm making holy hours <laughs> and I'm promoting prayer and I'm celebrating mass every day and I'm doing all the stuff so um, people are not normally accusing me of being too human and underly spiritual and so <laughs> I can often lean on that and say when I say this human dimension is really beautiful and you know, things I get excited about stuff like polyvagal theory and trauma informed therapy and like understanding all of the dimensions of our neurobiology and all of this kind of stuff. Um, you know, people are not normally uh, pu- pushing back on me in, uh, in, in not being spiritual enough. But in terms of the book, um, well, I guess it's, you know, it's the context of Marian consecration again. So the like really bringing out the humanity but then sort of in, in balance with the, the prayers that are there. And we're talking about Mary and Joseph, right? <laughs> Where it's, uh, nobody, none of us have seen them with our eyes. So <laughs> it's, uh, right. there's, real, there's real spiritual stuff at the, uh, at the foundation of that. But uh, it's a great question. Thanks for bringing yeah. that up. Well, in, in the same vein of, of trying to balance out the, the spiritual and the human and the importance of that, I, I think for, for a lot of people uh, approaching Mary and consecration, um, or consecration to Jesus through Mary more properly. Uh, there's there's almost always that that little challenge of how much Mary is too much. How much Mary takes away? Like, does, does do we start to push the boundary we're, we're taking away from Jesus? I know I went through this stretch uh, right before I started seminary. I was like, I was really devoted. I was praying the Rosary every day, and then I'm going. But what if what if I'm not giving Jesus enough? What if I'm giving too much to Mary and and struggling to to reconcile what that looked like? And I know for for people who are new to the Catholic faith, uh, for people who are exploring the Catholic faith, that's often an objection that they have. How do we keep that tension in a healthy way and balance it out the right way? Yeah, I. Uh... So as I said, I, I'm not only uh, an adult uh, baptized, uh, so I'm baptized at the Easter Vigil at age 21, but uh, I came in through an evangelical Bible study, and so I had heard in this huh. context, uh, you know, some of the Marian objections. The people I spent the most time with were not that way, but some people associated with them gave me that, and the people I spent the most time with weren't emphasizing Our Lady, so I. Uh, yeah, I understand that a little bit from the inside. So I also was sort of like tiptoeing around, you know, is it too much? Am I doing the, and, uh, you know, 25 years later, uh, actually much sooner than that, but I just decided like, if you actually know Jesus, if he's, if it's not just an abstract concept, and if you actually know Mary, if she's not just an abstract concept, if it's not just a matter of saying prayers to get things done, to like satisfy some kind of superstitious magical devotion uh right. th- then there's no problem like you can't love her more than mm. jesus does and and you and you can't you know like sh- she's never going to like keep you away from him so right. so the 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 bigger problem i think is whether you actually know jesus and mary i, I think that's the the more foundational thing if you're if you're kind of measuring devotion then probably there's a deeper conversion toward knowing really knowing them and, and being known and loved by them. And 
and and then and then it becomes a non-issue because it's sort of like you know i mean it's then it's just life i i i don't when i have friends that that love each other they're not worried about who's getting more time they love for me to be with them and they love for me to be with the other and and sometimes we move in seasons and this this you know interrelates and there's just no issue when when they're actually real people but mm. if we're you know measuring out things then that's sort of a different issue i guess that's the best answer i've heard to that question <laughs> well i think it's no, the first time i've ever cause... answered it that way so thanks you're, you're bringing you're bringing this out <laughs> way to go <laughs> yeah all it took was our podcast that's Matt, right you see that? <laughs> yes this is the thing you know how do you yield to grace you have relationships right you know it's like grace is at right. work here but i yes. it's not formulaic i can't i can't create it but but in relationships right. god god emerges in all of that so no it's really it is your podcast brought it out of me thank you yeah. <laughs> awesome well you're welcome Crazy. We're we're happy to be part of it <laughs> yeah yeah well, listen, Father, we know you've got a, a hard out and we, we've got to get you on to your next thing. So um, thank you for joining us. The book is The Fruit of Her Womb, A 33-Day Preparation for Total Consecration to Jesus from Sophia Institute Press. Grab a copy. I'm using this next time I renew my consecration. That's that's my uh, that's my plan. And I'm going to borrow it from him before he does. <laughs> well, if I can make a pitch, it's a, Please. It's a beautiful book. So I didn't actually realize that it was a, a Franciscan sister. I originally had this on my webpage and there was a sister that picked images. But if you just open it up, every day has an image, a full color picture of Our Lady to go along with the day. So they really, so that's, I, I just, I say that to build up yeah. Sophia. Really, they made a beautiful book. So I normally yeah. am not getting hardcover. I'm getting a lot of eBooks these days, but that's actually one that's worth having as a yeah it is as a paper and, book yeah and i and i've been joking that they sent me a pdf but i'm pretty sure mine's in the mail <laughs> just, for the, just for the record oh good <laughs> i'm not i'm not actually bitter about this <laughs> awesome well, this right. is great father thank you so much for, you for, for giving us here. your time tonight and for for uh, joining us this is this is fantastic the fruit of her womb by father boniface hicks sophia institute press Father, thank you. My pleasure. You guys are great to talk with. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to further support The Tangent, please consider subscribing or following on your preferred platform, following us at the Tangent underscore Catholic on Instagram, or even donating at VeritasCatholic.com. See you next time. God bless.